This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics, and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Today we're going to cover The Power of Persuasion by Professor Robert Levine. This was a book from the 2017 reading list. It was book number 36 of the 52 books. And uh, Jason's going to interview me on this one today, so uh, let's let's get started. Yeah, so uh, first of all, who recommended this one? Yeah, this one was recommended by Will McCaskill in Tools of Titans. And I do not recall who he is, but uh, he, he recommended <laughs> the book. So... So William McCaskill is uh, is a Scottish philosopher. He's also an ethicist, probably best known for his work in the effective altruism movement. Uh, basically, this is a movement in which uh, there essentially you use uh, various metrics and uh, evidence of various sorts, trying to get empirical evidence for what the most effective ways to benefit others using charity and uh, and all sorts of things. Uh, so so basically. It's, it's trying to figure out, okay, if, I, if you give money to this organization to do this, it's going to have this effect according to various data, as opposed to you give to this project, which is going to have a larger effect according to this data. So you should give to the second type of, uh, the second type of organization generally is a way that that's thought. So he's, he's a part of that movement. Um, but well, uh, that, yeah. that, uh, that actually makes sense as we go through this book, because there's some talk of, of how to, how to, how to get the most money out of, out of people who are supporting your organization. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that, that definitely would make some sense then, because, uh, of course this book is about persuasion yep. and like you said, uh, finagling money or whatever else you need. So, uh, so it makes sense for him in, uh, in that kind of movement. Although, uh, actually a big part of what he's, uh, trying to do is basically that um, is he's trying to uh, to show that uh, to show where you should give your money once someone actually does persuade you to do that in many cases and actually in some cases uh, one of his one of his most famous arguments actually uh, is that uh, if you are a young uh, idealistic person who wanted who wants to do the most possible good in the world then you should uh, try to get a job and work on Wall Street uh, that's uh, one of one of uh, McCaskill's uh, really um, uh, controversial ideas. Basically, the idea is go and get a job on Wall Street, make a ton of money so that then you have all sorts of ability to uh, steer where things go and, and contribute to causes that, uh, that most matter to you with the mo- massive amounts of money that you're able to steer, uh, that you're able to control. And so you're, you're able to uh, have the most impact because you have the most money. So... Uh, Essentially, uh, you've got that. Now there have been some others that uh, uh, that basically have con- have argued that doing just such a thing will ultimately crush your soul. So you know it's you're da- endangering your soul in the effort to save the world. So you know. Well, and he is. Uh, <laughs> I'm seeing here in, in Tools of Titans. He's an associate professor of philosophy at Lincoln College at the University of Oxford. Uh, he's just 29 years old. He's and 31 that, now. He, oh, 31. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Born 1987, so you got to remember, Tools of Titans was you know, went to press 
little while back. Ago. So, yeah, yeah, 2016. Yeah. So his quote uh, go- going along with this, if you earn 68000 per year, then globally speaking, you are the 1%. That's his quote in... Uh, you should also mention, too, that he's one of those rare men who chose to change his last name upon getting married. He and his, uh, his fiance, when they got married... Uh, they they both changed their last names. They changed their name to McCaskill. He was born Crouch, which was his, which was her maternal grandmother's maiden name. So there's a little piece of trivia about uh, William McCaskill. Well, it's a, if he is Scottish, uh, that's a much more Scottish sounding last name too, isn't it? Yeah, I guess he's got gone for more uh, respect dude. there, right? <laughs> so in Tools of Titans, uh, if you're interested, it's page 448 where he recommends this one, and here's what he has to say about it. Power of Persuasion by Robert Levine, the ability to be convincing, sell ideas, and persuade other people is a meta skill that transfers to many areas of your life. This book didn't become that popular, but it's the best book on persuasion that Will has found. It's much more in-depth than other options in the genre. Well, there you go. So uh, let's go ahead and start where we normally would, and that is your initial reaction to this book. So uh, uh, as I recall, this one's not especially long, uh, so you should be able to, uh, to give a, a little bit of, uh, to, to do this uh, pretty quickly, yeah? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'm going to start with more of an overview uh, of the book itself, and, and it was written in 2003, so it's, it's important to keep that in mind as it's now 15 years old. So some of the, uh, some of the examples are, are a bit dated, but uh, the goal of this book, as stated by Robert Levine in the beginning, is to shift the balance of control to our side. He uh, talks about companies having just streams of data, physiological information, and, and, and that these companies, a lot of them uh, spend a lot of money on persuasion techniques. Uh, think about, now 15 years later and how much more data a lot of companies have and you come into the game unprepared so this this book book is a is a way to try to get you back on par with uh with how companies and and organizations and and even other individuals try to persuade you and and so so you can have the tools to to know what to do and, and what to look out for so uh Richard Feynman was uh, our book number 10 last year, and we, we really enjoyed that book. He had, one of his most famous quotes is he said, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. And so I, the way I think of this Power of Persuasion book is that uh, this is a book on how not to get fooled. Interesting. So instead of uh, taking it as a, uh, as a weapon, you're, using, you're seeing this book more as a, uh, as a defensive device, as a shield. It's a defensive uh, device, but also I, I have a, a section coming up where we can discuss good, t- good tips on how to manipulate people and get what you want. So uh, <laughs> stay tuned for that, and I'll give you a little some of the, the key takeaways from the book. But yeah, it's, it's kind of like the, um, the book we discussed a few weeks back, Hooked, where you can either use Hooked to understand how, how companies are trying to hook you, and, and, and especially with, with online companies, how they try to get you to stay on the website. Or if you're a developer, you could use the information in that book to, to hook people. So it's kind of a similar situation with, with this book. So, 
All right. Well, let's go ahead and move from there. We, I mean, there's I, I, that's a, as good a, an overview as any. Let's go ahead and move from there to uh, some of your favorite quotes from the book, and uh, then we'll work our way through uh, some of the specifics. So, okay. uh, what 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 are a few quotes that that really stood out? All right. The first one: People tend to have a curious illusion of personal invulnerability to manipulation. And one reason this one stuck out to me is uh, I, I have a, a pretty funny story from from when I worked at Russell Corporation, my my first job out of college, and I I basically got scammed by a Nigerian prince. So we uh, I worked in the international division, and we would take we would take orders from all all over the world, and uh, we we had this one person from Ghana who wanted to place an order for t-shirts and it was a large order and it was for large t-shirts actually double and triple X XL t-shirts <laughs> and uh, the person's name was Mother Lantana and that should have set off some alarms but everything else they did was according to to the rules that we had in place for for international orders I mean they they paid uh, they paid by credit card they they had a ship against their FedEx number and uh, a month or two after the after the order and after I um, uh, supplied their order on the same exact day, both FedEx and the credit card company came back and said that there were no funds to pay for, for these t-shirts and that this whole thing was a fraud. Uh, and, and by that point we had, we had shipped the the t-shirts. So I felt pretty, pretty dumb. And uh, so that's why this, this quote here, people tend to have a curious illusion of personal and vulnerability to manipulation. I mean, I had heard a lot about uh, these types of scams and had even known people who had gotten scammed by them. And then uh, and then here we go. I, I got scammed. So so what made the scam so persuasive to uh, to someone who otherwise would normally not be so vulnerable? Well, uh, we I mean, we 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 talked I talked about it a lot with my bosses, this this particular order and whenever there would be something odd, uh, they, they would still do what they were supposed to do. They would fill out the right forms. They would, they would pay. I mean, credit card was one, one way that we would take orders and, uh, and we would usually ship against uh, a customer's uh, FedEx or UPS account. So nothing was out of the extraordinary. It was just more the, the back and forth with this person. Um, everything would be fine. And then all of a sudden the person would just kind of go crazy and like, I need these sh- I need these shirts now. Get them, get them to me now, and, and just kind of freak out. And um, but yeah, I, I got totally scammed. <laughs> so, did this person apply the rules of this book? Yes, definitely. Um, and especially when we get into the the good tips on how to manipulate people, we can um, we can we can hit on some of those. But uh, all right, so let's get let's let's uh, let's get rolling then a little further. So, uh, any other favorite quotes here? Yeah, a few more. Um, one, who who would you think, Jason? Who would you think is the most successful type of salesperson? Well, that's a pretty broad question. Um, I'd say maybe a toddler. They tend to get whatever they want, uh, you know, one way or another, uh, pretty successfully. So I, I'd say probably, probably your average three-year-old, maybe maybe your average two-year-old, but but I think three-year-olds are, are are subtle enough that they often have kind of really gotten things figured out. So 
But well, I that, mean, that, you could make the case for a one-year-old too. Then that maybe one-year-old may may take the cake there because then that, people pity him enough. So I I might give the the edge to a one-year-old. Yeah. So um, that that fits along with this quote. The most successful salesman or woman, uh, they don't appear yeah, to be salesmen at all. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Most, I, I've been watching the life of Brian too many times. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. Uh, in, in the book, it, it was salesman. I'm going to go ahead and say salesperson. So the most successful salesperson does not appear to be a salesperson at all. Well, I guess that would fit a one-year-old. Yep. So someone who doesn't look like they're selling something or trying to persuade you at all is the most persuasive. That makes sense. Makes some sense. Yeah. And that and that's on page three of the book. So that that really sets the tone. His his whole goal is to, uh, you know, because we we all have these things like, oh, I'm I'm not going to get scammed. Uh, I know what to look for. So I know what to, I know what to look for. I know what to look for the the used car salesman type of person. I know, I know if somebody's kind of wheeling and dealing me. I know what to look for. But uh, his point is that you oftentimes they're they're a lot more advanced than that, and and you probably can't even see what they're what they're doing. So the next next quote, and this is not from the author, but this is a popular Japanese saying, but translated into English. Nothing is more costly than something given free of charge. Oh, yeah, that's that's very true. It reminds me of the other quote that uh, if if you aren't being charged for something, then you are the product. Yeah, yeah. And I I uh, I I'm, I'm pretty extreme on this. Like my. My wife and I will go to a lot of different um, festivals and, and at these at these things, there's a lot of, of uh, people giving away free samples of their their food. And I, I hate I hate taking them. I I I, I avoid them. And, and, and my wife's always going up to them and getting them all the all the, the free samples. And I just hate it because I, I do feel a, a certain sense of um, needing to to repay that and and so there's it makes you think, feel obligated that you need to buy buy the buy some piece of food from them for taking the morsel that they're offering to get you suckered to do that yeah yeah uh, you're too soft-hearted i am i'm soft i'm soft so th- this uh this next one is one of my favorites a dollar is a dollar is a dollar <laughs> and one that ties in with that watch out when anyone frames a dollar to look like anything but what it is don't don't think like the government. And this this comes in a chapter where he's talking about when you're buying a house and you know something will get tacked on and it's like two thousand extra dollars, but you're you're spending a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand. So that that extra two hundred that extra two thousand is not not a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. But you know any any other day of your of your life you wouldn't just blow two grand on on a suggestion or something. So. Um, he he talks about that in, in the sense of a dollar is a dollar is a dollar. So if, if you if you are a penny pincher, um, when you go to to Walmart or 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 Costco or something, you know you shouldn't you shouldn't just blow it all when you uh, when then you have a big purchase and 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 you can get a few extra features or something like that. So that's just something that that uh, that stuck out to me in, in the book. The, the next one, beware of strangers who tell you what you need. It's a good one. <laughs> well, it reminds me actually of uh, the Steve Jobs uh, quote, uh, which I, I will just paraphrase because I don't have it handy, uh, about why they didn't focus group. Yeah. Right? That, that This idea of, well, they don't know what they want yet. Yeah. <laughs> we have to show it. To, we, ha- we, have to, we have to show it to them first before they'll know they need it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, and in, in his case, he uh, he was right on on some of his products. Yep, there are people now who would rather give up indoor plumbing than their iPhones or or you know their smartphone in general, which is a category that more or less he launched. You know, yeah. you can say BlackBerry was, but no, not really, yeah. not the same. Yeah. Way. So here's the last one, and this one does not come from the author, but uh, it's one that he quoted. And this is from a Madison Avenue executive. Don't tell my mother I'm in advertising. She thinks I play piano in a whorehouse. I, I, I've always loved that quote. <laughs> yeah, she <laughs> thinks I play piano in a whorehouse. There we go. <laughs> Which I wonder if that's any, I mean, isn't that advertising? That's a form of advertising. Entertainment and advertising, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I've always loved that quote. <laughs> That's a good one. So I've got a few uh, nitty gritty things from this this book. I thought would be would be interesting to discuss, and, and uh, one particular thing that that Jason, I think you'd be really interested in. And then uh, after that, I've got some some key takeaways in 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 a uh, epi- uh, in a section I'd like to to call the good tips on how to manipulate people. So there we go and get your way. And get your way, get what you want. So three uh, nitty gritty items here. The first is, I think we discussed this in another episode, but this was the book that went into great detail about the Milgram study, which is the study where where participants were were told to shock people with with people in lab coats behind them telling them to to keep keep shocking and, and at at higher degrees of, of, of um, higher degrees of, of intensity to where the, the last intensity was, was supposedly to kill the person. And, and the, the people getting shocked were actors, but, um, but the, the participants didn't know that. And this, this book went into a lot more detail about that study and, and details that I hadn't seen in, in any other, other books. And one of the the main things was that they said this study started in the U.S. and, and the study was to test uh, degrees of of uh, obedience yeah, between the famous Milgram study. Yeah, between people in the U.S. and people in Germany, because at that point, since Germany was where all that happened in World War Two, they figured there'd be higher levels of that in Germany. So the test first started in the U.S. And the U.S. rate of, of participants who effectively tortured people. Who just followed orders. Who just followed orders was 65%. And so the test, they didn't even go to Germany <laughs> because the, te- the test, the, the, the rate was so high in the U.S. They, they saw, they saw, Something you and I have talked about in a lot of the of our episodes that kind of like the dollar is a dollar is a dollar. Uh, a human is a human is a human, and people are people are people. And what obedience levels happened in Germany during World War II were those same people. Yeah, that said, there have been some who have called some of the Milgram study results into question a bit, and we, we've talked about this on a prior episode, um, but. Uh, you know, because of the nature of of the students who were in, involved in the in the test and whether or not they could, you know, tell basically that they were engaged in it in in something of a game, uh, and it's difficult to 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 assess that. And it, this is, of course, the kind of study that is now usually you want things to be replicable, 
well, this is the kind of study that is now uh, never going to be approved by a uh, by 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 a, a research board that uh, because it's now you know given the way that things actually worked in that particular study, uh, they've decided you know no more uh, no mas this is this is this kind of study is out of bounds so we're not going to see this tested anytime soon so uh, you know to see if it's replicable so that's that's an interesting interesting thing about that. Yeah, and, and uh, one one thing he did talk about was that they did replicate this in in other countries, and that the obedience rate never dipped below fifty percent. And that was quite a few <laughs> different countries. So, yeah, pretty, pretty scary. Yeah, won't be replicated here anytime soon. No, no, no research board's going to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's quite popular. Uh, the next next thing he talked about the Apple Think Different campaign. Which drives me crazy because yes, it should be think yes. differently. <laughs> it's an adverb. So he, he, he thinks it's a pretty funny contradiction because they're blatantly telling people what to do to buy Apple while at the same time urging them to think for themselves. Think for yourselves and do what we're telling you to do. <laughs> the last thing, and, and he talked a lot about uh, cults. There's a whole chapter devoted to Joan... Jones uh, Jonestown, yeah. Jim and, Jones, baby, the, yeah. the famous, uh, the famous Kool Aid uh, mass suicide, a very, very sad event. Yeah, um, I need to find the mass the suicide quoted, along with mass murder. Yeah, the quote at the beginning of that chapter is pretty interesting. Nobody joins a cult; they just postpone the dis- decision to leave. That was a uh, cult member. But uh, along that, along those lines, the Moonies, the Unification Church. Did you know that they owned the Washington Times? Yes, I did not know that. And uh, apparently, they they recently sold it, but it it's still owned by a diversified conglomerate. Operations Holding is the name, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of the church, so it's still owned by the church. Um, not the Washington Post. That's uh, that's Jeff. Bezos, but uh, Washington Times, owned by the Moonies. Yep. So would you not like to be not good? to be confused, by the way, with the Goonies, which is <laughs> a completely different situation. But the Moonies, uh, this is of course the uh, Unification Church, uh, founded by Sun Myung Moon, uh, the Reverend Moon. Uh, from Korea, who was uh, his own, you know, he basically had his own charismatic. Uh, not Moon believed in the end of religion, but effectively founded a new religion on the basis of end of religion with its own theology and so on. So there you go. Good, good times. Well, would you like to hear some tips on on uh, how to manipulate people and get you get what you want? Yeah, take us home with this twenty uh, first century Dale Carnegie bit here on how to be like a one year old and get what you want. <laughs> Best way to get a product in the into the hands of the customers is to place it slightly to the right of where they're likely to be standing. And along with that, shoppers have an uncanny tendency to drift towards the right. So whenever you're in a store in the mall, they know this. And so I, I always find these things interesting to, to read and then, and then see if you can 
see if you can see these things in play in, in different stores. Um, here's another one. Shoppers need a decompression or transition zone. They don't even really notice anything when they first come in. So the idea is that they're they're kind of going fast from store to store so that one, once they get into the store, they're still in that mode. It's, it's just kind of a, they're getting used to the to the new store. So uh, they, they, they always try to place the most popular items at the back of the, of the store. And the things right when you walk in, they know that people are, are not really going to see that as much as they will uh, things a little bit further into the store. So another kind of fun thing to, to watch when you, when you go into stores just to see how, they, how it's laid out. And, and a lot of that is studied and tested and all sorts of stuff to put things in the, the best place possible, and especially at grocery stores where they, where they pair things that uh, people often buy together. The inclusion of statistics, even when meaningless, can signal expertise. Oh yeah, yeah. People love people love. You know, this gets back to the. Well, to what, the, what to, percentage of people would you think would love it? I, I would say at least eighty nine percent of people will be swayed by by statistics, much more than lies or damn lies. <laughs> I would say somewhere around around, you know. 65 percent will be will be swayed by lies maybe maybe uh you know 74 percent will be swayed by damn lies and then roughly 89 percent will be swayed by statistics hmm. yeah that's a, that's very interesting enlightening all right another one here uh anchoring we talked about this recently in another episode but anchoring uh actually in the uh thinking fast and slow episode Anchoring puts a number on the table. So uh, if you're in a negotiation and somebody throws out a crazy number, that's whether you like to think or that or not, it's, it is an anchor and it's, it's in everyone's mind. What I also found inter- interesting is that he talked about anchoring for giving. And so if you get a letter in the mail that, uh, that's asking for money for a particular organization, they'll often put some different options for you. And Based on those options, you know, you can give 100, 500 or 1,000. That's put an anchor in your head as to what you what you feel like you should give. And when when organizations do that, if 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 they do it right, they can they can get higher amounts of money just by anchoring it differently. Uh, you also see this a lot with with people offering you a service. If there's three different uh, options for the service, the the. The most advanced one will be a really high price, but then that sets in your mind uh, a high price, and then you know anything below that is uh, is is deemed a good price, even if it's more than you would have paid uh, otherwise. So, just something to keep in mind as you're um, as you're buying anything or, or or doing any type of business to to just keep the anchoring idea in mind. Yeah, it's very important to actually re-anchor yourself if you need if you notice that there's been some sort of anchoring there. And again, remember in the last one, get up, walk yeah. out. Yeah. In in certain cases, uh, when when that happens, because you're just not going to be equipped to uh, to handle that all that well. Yeah. Well, and and I did want to ask you too. I know I know you've had a few uh, <laughs> few uh, good fun uh, times with with either buying a car or going to a uh, timeshare meeting. So any, anything you'd, anything you, you saw 
uh, or that stuck out in in either of those situations and, and, and especially how you responded to it? Oh, well, that- these timeshare people are really good at what they do. And, and you know, I go in, I, I know I'm not going to buy a timeshare. So, you know, there, there have been a few cases where I basically we've let them know, like, listen, we're, we're not going to buy the timeshare. So, you know, you got a choice. You can waste your couple hours on us or however long you have you have to do this or we're just going to. You know, we're we're not going to do it at the end. I mean, we're just going to let you know just up front. There've been a couple cases where they're like, "Okay, well, <laughs> I'm not going to waste." I mean, it, you really act like you're not sway up. Nope, we're not swayable at all. <laughs> like, well, I mean, to take the trip that you're on right now, you have to be here. You know, you can be here for the next couple hours, but you know, go ahead and help yourself to the dessert table and do whatever you you know need to while you're here. No use for any of us to waste any of our time. So we've we've had that. Uh, and as they've then gone to uh, work on other potential clients, so uh, that's been interesting to see. Uh, yeah, and then the last the last car that uh, that that we bought, uh, we I think uh, I think I managed to get them to come down. I think thirty percent on the price, the dealer on on what the marked price was, which was itself the marked price had already gone down. Um, let's see, about. 20% from when it first there was a used car that went on the lot. I think it went down uh I think it I think it had already dropped uh let's see that would have been yeah it would have been about 20% since it had gotten on the lot uh, about 3 months earlier. Uh we went in with the knowledge of how long it had been on the lot, which was very important. And uh also I had a good sense of how much it cost the dealership to to take up space on their lot. With how, the car that hadn't know, sold. How did you know how long it had been on the lot? Had you been watching it, or well, we they, we they we went that? to uh, we we used uh, uh, some online website stuff, you know, online tools to find this vehicle as a possibility for uh, for it uh, for for us, and then uh, that site actually had the how long has this been for sale counter up, okay. uh, and so we knew that it had been a trade in to that mm-hmm. dealership, uh, and uh, that it had been on the lot then for just under three months, I think I don't remember exactly. So we went in and it had already been, they'd already knocked the price down a little bit uh, about, like I said, about 20% from what they'd initially listed it at, which was in the blue book range. But I also knew that they used, so I, I knew their backend stuff and that was the key for my persuasion on this is basically knowing what their tools would be. Uh, so I, I I walked in and said, you know, after we test drove it and everything, well, we're interested in it and all this, but we're not paying this. And so they came back and they said, well, we can drop it. And they dropped it like a hundred bucks or 200 bucks. And we, I just laughed at him. I was like, yeah, that's thanks. Thanks. But we're, we're just going to go ahead and leave then, you know? And so I got up to leave and then, oh, you know, so whatever. Okay, well, you know, and he's asking me, you know, well, what, what's your bottom line? You know, what, what, how much, are, you know, what, what are you willing to pay for this? And I was like, no, 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 no. That is not how this is going to work. You're not going to ask me how much I'm willing to pay, and I'm just going to tell you how much I'm willing to pay, and then you'll come up from there or whatever and talk me. Not going to be how this works. I don't have a specific number in mind in the first place, but even if I did have an exact number in mind, I wouldn't tell you. So this is just not how this is going to work. He said, well, you know, he's trying to get me to do this. And I said, well, the bottom line is here. You're selling this car. You're asking for this amount. But I know that you guys paid 
X amount for this car based on this. This was a trade in car. I know you paid around this amount. He's like, well, I, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't tell you that. I mean, I said, well, I'm telling you how much you paid for the car. It was a trade in. You paid this much. So I'm not going to pay in something like $2,000 more for it to take it off your hands. I'm just not going to. So you're going to need to get me pretty close to what you paid for it. Cause you guys, this is, this car is a loss for you now in terms of how long it's sat on the, on the, on the lot. You, you know, let's just go ahead and get close to the, to where you, to what you paid for it. And I'll be, I'll be happy. So, um, you know, he went back and forth with me eventually, you know, brought the manager out and the manager came in and showed me the ledger of here's what I paid for it, which was a hundred dollars different from what I'd told him. I was off by $100. And I looked at the salesperson and I said, see, <laughs> I told you, he kind of looked at me like, well, okay. And then he showed, you know, okay, here's some other things that we did with the car. You know, we did, had it, had, you know, we, you know, had it detailed and we, you know, put new tires on it or whatever did, you know, did various things in the, in the shop. And he said, so this is how much I actually have in the car, which is more than what you're saying. So, yeah, well, that's fine. I, I, I understand that. But at the same point, all that work is being done in your shop. And so all this labor that you're doing here, that, that labor you're paying anyway, that's, 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 that's just accounting. That's an accounting trick. He's like, well, yeah, but that's still in my budget. And I'm like, well, that's fine, but you can go ahead and take the loss. Cause that's an accounting trick within the, uh, within the, within the dealership and and you know let's be honest uh sir this is this this car's costing you what about six hundred dollars somewhere in there a month just uh just to sit on your lot uh, yeah actually and i think i was like 50 bucks off of what it was for them he's like yeah that's about what it costs just to take up the space and and all of this uh for us not to have another car in there that's selling so yeah that's about right it's like well here's the here's the question do you want it to sit for another do you want it to sit another month or two where you have to knock off the another five or six hundred dollars on the price to get it sold and you lose the month so now you lose twelve hundred or you can just give it to me for this price now <laughs> and they eventually gave me my price and so we walked out about thirty percent less than uh than uh what they'd been asking to begin with. And uh, the, the salesperson actually came over after we'd signed all the stuff. And he said, I just want to shake your hand because you just absolutely worked us over on this one. <laughs> I can't believe you got that car from that price. So, and it's been a great car, but um, yeah. Yeah, my wife's in the other room saying that's how we roll. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's been a great car. And, and again, that's where for me, the, the negotiation thing is not just about persuasion. It's less about persuasion because they're sitting in, sitting in a position where somebody's going to buy a car eventually, but it's about knowing the back end stuff enough to be able to negotiate to, to what really they're willing to, to give it to you for. And to, and the persuasion part of it comes down to getting them to see, listen, you've got a choice. If you're going to lose money, you might as well lose the money now rather than lose even lose potentially lose a good bit more and have to wait another, you know, two, three months to do it. Let's just go ahead and cut your losses and, and get this out of the way now. And, and if you have, knowledge that something's been sitting for a while you know having knowledge to be able to to give to sell somebody on that's the key yeah cool <laughs> some good stuff there <laughs> all right a few more uh a few more tips here so if you have to share bad news and good news it's best to consolidate the bad news and spread out the good news the next one 
sunk costs are irrelevant to your decisions today. So just keep that in mind when you're when you're negotiating things. The uh, if you if you're out trying to get donations for a charity or or an organization and you say it's for a good cause, that will actually increase donations. <laughs> Another one, which is pretty funny, is if you put the word because in, you more more often than not, you'll get uh, you'll get your way if you didn't say because. So the example he gives in the book is um, is uh, there's a long line. This is back when people had to make a lot of copies and stuff. So there's a long line for the copy machine and somebody would come up and they said, may I cut in line because I'm in a rush? <laughs> uh, if they just said, may I cut in line? Uh, most people would not let them in, but they said, may I cut in line because I'm in a rush? What if they said, may I cut in line, I'm in a rush, but didn't put because? I think the word because was the the main thing. Huh. And it, it, it was funny. They did somewhere like it, it wasn't even a good reason, but it be they would say because. So may I cut in line because I need to make a copy that um, those people would still get people would still let those people in line more than people who just say, said, can I cut in line here? <laughs> so just kind of some, in, uh, some funny, funny things there. May I cut in line because I'm special. <laughs> and the last one, uh, research shows that ads containing the words new, quick, easy, improved, now suddenly amazing and introducing increased product sales. And so, you'll never know. You'll never believe what comes next. Yeah. And if you order now, yeah. Any, any other any others that increase product sales? No, that. Uh, oh, one one uh, one last thing he talks about is it seems like the entire world is is on sale, and this is always something that bothers me when when I'm at when I'm at the stores and and uh, uh, my if my wife's like, oh, well, this thing's on sale right now, and. Like it, everything's yeah, on sale. If you go it's to the Gap, everything is is like forty percent off all the time because they yeah. just mark up the uh, the 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 retail price. Or they just you put know, suggested retail. And suggested keep it retail, one hundred and twenty dollars. Yeah. But we're and selling then, it uh, for forty because so, that's our everyday price. Yep. So beware of that. Uh, everything is always on sale. And, and well, the, the thing is, why is everything on sale? Well, because it's not the it's not their actual price. So. It's anchoring. It's an example it's high, of anchoring. We're going anchor, to anchor you at 120 bucks, but we're going to sell you the shirt for 40 when it's actually worth like eight. Yeah. <laughs> and they paid two. Yeah. So, all right. So I'm, I'm ready to go to conclusions. Uh, did you have any other questions about the book or? Not really. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think you've persuaded me necessarily to ask any more questions. So I think we can go ahead to your conclusions and wrap this up. Yeah, this was this was a this was one of a handful of books from our 2017 list that was on a similar uh, similar topic. So, a lot of the examples in this book were in other books that we read for 2017, and it just got to the point. I mean, once I got to the power of persuasion, I, I was kind of sick of of this line of books, uh, psychology books, but then everyone just did the same examples and they got the same things out of the examples and, and that sort of thing. So I'm, 
I, this was a good book. There were some good parts, but, um, but yeah, there were just too many other books that we read that, that were pretty much the same so thing. So if you were going to read one of the others in place of this, you again would default to what? Yeah, that's, uh, it, uh, we have to go to this year and, uh, thinking fast and slow. It, 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 thinking fast and slow was like our, um, once an ego book where yeah, so far this we, saw, year, yeah. we saw so many of the lessons from, from the other tools of Titans books in once an Eagle set that you and I both made the comment of just read once an Eagle and you'll, you'll get a lot of the lessons from these other books. <laughs> yeah. In that's narrative how I felt. Form. Yeah. That's how I felt about thinking fast and slow. It, it was on a, a similar topic line and there were similar examples, but thinking fast and slow was just so much, so much above these other books that we that we had on our list from last year, uh, that that I, I would just read Thinking Fast and Slow or Fooled by Randomness, one of our, our more recent ones. Both of those I, I thought were much better than uh, than the Power of Persuasion here. Um, but but this does this does go into some good details about how how people can avoid being scammed or persuaded against their will on on different things, and that could be from from a, a cult to uh, not not getting suckered into buying uh, the latest the latest gadget. Um, the, 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 this book is important in in this sense, though. Communication boils down to either requesting information that may in some way change us, or it's it's ourselves giving messages that we hope will change others. So it's important to know how to communicate. It's important to know some of these tools and. Uh, you know, I, I obviously joking when I when I say to to use these to manipulate people and get what you want, but um, but it is important to know when when these things are being used against you and to and to be aware of them. And so I think there there's a lot of power in 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 the book in that sense. But if you've got if you've got more time than um, than anything, you know, go ahead and add this one to your list. But if time is short, like it is for most people, I, I would stick with uh, thinking fast and slow. All right. Well, any other any other final final addition additional comments to make? No, that's that's it for this one. All right. Well, that'll go ahead and do it for us uh, here on Books of Titans. Once again, you can uh, follow us on all sorts of different social media at Books of Titans. And please, if you are in getting anything out of this podcast, if you're enjoying it, leave us uh, positive reviews. Five star reviews go a long way on uh, Apple Podcasts in particular. And uh, go ahead and, t- and you know tell a friend about uh, an episode or or two that uh, that you found most uh, most helpful or most valuable, and uh, that would uh, that would definitely help us out. So uh, I don't think there's anything more. On behalf of Eric Rostad, I'm Jason Staples. This has been the Books of Titans podcast. Keep listening, keep reading, and keep improving, and keep thinking. <laughs>